0: Support for Labour collapsed on election night, banishing the party to the opposition benches. A little
1: bit
2: depressed. Very depressed. I'm very disappointed.
0: Labour is now examining what went so wrong and pondering who is best to lead them through the political wilderness.
1: I've still got a bit of fight left in me.
0: Kia ora, Katie Scotcher a ne te pūrongo tōrangapū mō wiki. Welcome to Focus on Politics. It's been almost two weeks since Labor's election drubbing, and the party is still coming to terms with its dismal result. Support for Labor plummeted from 50% in 2020 to just under 27. Labor lost its grip on almost 30 electorates, including party strongholds Mount Roskill, New Lynn, and West Coast Tasman. The preliminary result has left Labor with a diminished. Caucus: A team of more than sixty reduced to just thirty-four.
1: We're um, picking ourselves up again. It's been a pretty brutal weekend. A little yeah. bit, a little bit sad, a bit reflective. You, you must make... be gutted to have lost Whiteooper. I am. Yeah, that job meant a lot to me.
0: While emotions for many in the party are still raw, Labor must quickly turn its attention to dissecting its loss. Such reflection will inevitably present questions about leadership. Labour leader Chris Hipkins remains in the job, for now at least.
1: I didn't want to create a huge void, and also I want to take some time to reflect, and I want to take some time to reflect with the team on what the best way is forward for the Labour Party.
0: Labour MPs publicly backed Chris Hipkins as they entered their first post-election caucus meeting.
1: I think he's got the got the goods, be it as Prime Minister or Leader of the Opposition, and if someone's good at something, regardless of what's happened, they're, they're still good. He put it all out there, and he still has my support.
0: And yes, I totally back him, I think he's still Great job.
1: Chippy's a good person, he certainly has my support.
0: But Labour MP Willie Jackson revealed a potential problem for Chris Hipkins.
3: Do you think Chris Hipkins
0: has the backing of the entire Uh, (laughs) caucus? Do I think he has the backing of the? Well, you've interviewed one or two, so
2: uh, you know we'll, we'll have a vote. But I, I think most uh, most of the caucus are backing him.
3: But that's not a resounding.
0: No, you know, well, I, I think one. I think one or two. I think one or two, one or two, two people have aspirations. Uh, so you know. Chris Hopkins has the support of most of his caucus. He said, one or two Labor MPs have leadership ambitions.
1: I think we've got a team, who, many of whom could be future leaders of the party. Does, Does it worry one? you?
0: Does it worry you that you have one or two people in your caucus who want your job? N-
1: not at all. I think yeah, I'm very proud to lead a team uh, that have a number of people who I could easily see leading the Labor Party one day in the future.
0: Under the party's rules, the caucus needs to have a vote on the leadership within three months of the election.
1: That's not even something that we're going to, um, uh, you know, to contemplate properly until we've got a final result from the election.
0: I asked former Labor candidate and political commentator. To Josie Pagani if Chris Hipkins is the right person to lead the Labour Party.
4: I think Chris Hipkins' instincts back in January when he first took over the leadership were spot on, that the Labour Party needed to return to basics, bread and butter issues, cost of living and so on, and delivering for working people. Um, so I think if he, if he had only backed his instincts all the way to the election, they might not have lost and so i think if he can return to that initial impulse he had to to fix the labor party and and get it back on track then yes he's the right person to continue today at least to sort of do the honest analysis after the election defeat
0: do you think he should contest the 2026 election for Labor because, in doing so, he would be the first leader to lose an election and then contest the next one since uh, Helen Clark in the 90s.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, the, the thing is, you can only contest that election in 2026 if you've been the leader that has done the hard work, and the hard work begins now. So, if Chris Hipkins can prove that he starts from an honest, difficult analysis of what went wrong and why the Labour Party lost, which, frankly, is not the gods, cyclones, COVID, external factors, uh, inflation, cost of living and so on. It was the inability of of Labour to respond to those things in a way that voters wanted them to. So I think if if... Chris Hipkins can do that tough work, he'll deserve to be in the leadership in 2026 and take the party into the election.
0: Chris Hipkins has stressed the need for stability and continuity as the party shifts from government to opposition. He will be keenly aware of Labor's last stint in opposition, which was marred by disunity, factions, and a rolling mall of leaders. It started in 2008. After nine years in government, Helen Clark stood down on election night when it became clear Labor had failed to secure a fourth
2: term. My job as leader of the Labor Party is complete. I will be standing down. Yes.
0: And I will be expecting Labor colleagues to elect a new leader before Christmas. Phil Goff was handed the reins, but support of the party kept falling. Labor won just 27% of the party vote at the 2011 election.
1: It might not have been our time this time, but our time will come again and we will be ready to take New Zealand forward
0: at that time. Phil Goff resigned just days after delivering that speech. David Shearer won the leadership race that followed. He led the Labour Party for two years.
1: I no longer have the full confidence of many of my caucus colleagues. From the soundings I've taken, I believe that it is better that I step down so we can have a clean change to a new leader who can take Labour through to victory in 2014.
0: Grant Robertson, Shane Jones and David Cunliffe battled it out to replace him. After weeks of cross-country campaigning, David Cunliffe was voted in.
1: You are amazing.
0: He led Labour to an Absolute drubbing in 2014, Labour won just 25% of the party vote, its worst electoral performance since 1922.
1: As most of you realise, the way the votes have fallen tonight, we will not be able to form a government.
0: David Cunliffe eventually resigned, accepting responsibility for the defeat. He briefly contested the leadership contest that followed, before withdrawing, leaving four contenders to fight for the job. David Parker.
1: I want every vote because I want to win.
0: Grant Robertson.
1: We have to get through this contest being honest with ourselves.
0: Nanaia Mahuta. The decision wasn't made lightly. And Andrew Little, who eventually won. I want to say that I don't
1: underestimate the task ahead. We are 25% of the party vote in the last
2: election and we have work to do.
0: Over three years, Andrew Little helped rebuild Labour's caucus, restoring discipline and unity. He stood down in 2017, paving the way for Jacinda Ardern to take the reins. Andrew Little went on to serve as a minister in the Labour government for six years. But after Labour's election loss, he's called time on politics to allow a fresh face to take his place. He offered this advice to Labour's caucus as it prepares to return to the opposition benches.
1: Politics is a team sport, um, and so the team must be strong. Uh, And there are difficult times and challenging times, this is one of them, and so there needs to be a good conversation about it. Um, But it's not on the basis of kind of ripping each other apart.
0: Roughly a third of Labor's current caucus experienced the party's tumultuous years in opposition, including senior MP Carmel Sipoloni. Bit of
2: a roller coaster, I have to say, and I think that those of us that lived through that uh, certainly can take away some learnings from that in terms of what we would like to see and what we would not like to see. Um, well, I what, are those, in, what are some of
0: those? What are some of those lessons? A
2: disunity, disunity at times. Uh, there, there was, it was uh, very factional at different points. Um, there was, certainly was, I believe, a bit of a breakdown between what was happening in caucus and what was happening within the party in terms of communication uh, during a period of time of that nine years in opposition. So those things help inform learning uh, to make sure that this time around we can do, we can do this better. Uh, I came into opposition in 2008, never having been in government, never having worked in the public sector. I knew nothing. Uh, And there were very few opportunities, I feel, on reflection to actually learn how to be an effective opposition member of parliament. And so taking that learning, you know, how do we ensure for everyone that's never been an opposition member of parliament that they get the support they need to be able to do that well? And that's something that we've got to focus on.
0: You talked there about disunity and some of the factions and the kind of disconnection between the caucus and the party. How do you prevent that from happening again?
2: I think uh, by prioritising relationships. Um, Sometimes we're so busy getting on with the political strategy and the parliamentary business that we forget that relationships need to be um, a priority and should be key. It's the relationships between those that are are in caucus. It's the relationship between caucus and uh, the um, party. Um, It's also the relationship between caucus and the party and our broader stakeholders, the people that um, we are there to serve in parliament uh, and the people that we need to work alongside um, whilst in opposition or even when we're in in government. So I think relationships have to be a, a primary consideration to ensure that we don't end up going down the same track that we've experienced in the past. And none of what I'm saying is new. I think the general public and the media, uh, we're all over the fact that those things happened when we are in opposition, but there were also things that happened when National was in opposition. Unfortunately, uh, it seems to be part and parcel of our history of oppositions, and we just want to avoid that happening this time around.
0: Yeah, as you say, it did happen international as well. Do you think that this is just inevitably what happens in to parties in opposition and will it inevitably just happen to Labour again?
2: I don't want to believe that it's inevitable I want to believe that there are enough of us to, to know what that feels like and to have learnt from that um, and enough uh, people within the caucus who are absolutely committed to ensuring that we do better than that.
0: Former Labour MP and Chief Party Whip Sue Moroni spent four terms at Parliament, three of which were in opposition between 2008 and 2017.
3: Well, I don't think anyone from any party likes being in opposition. Uh, it's not not what you go into Parliament to do. People... Go into Parliament to make a difference, and it 's really hard to do that in opposition so you know every day spent in opposition um, feels like a uh, can feel like a bit of a grind, and certainly that you know that really makes it hard for a caucus full of passionate people who are wanting to make change and it 's frustrating because you 're not in a position to do so um, you know when we went into Opposition in 2008. I was pretty much a baby MP. Um, I was a backbench MP, and I'd been in there for one term, so I didn't have too much to compare it to. But you know, I did notice that saw, saw people who had been used to being cabinet ministers and making high-level decisions you know, struggle quite a bit with that transition to um, being a garden variety MP again, even though many of them had been there. Uh, you know, for some years beforehand. So, yeah, it is a, it's a very difficult transition, but I would say that Labour's not alone in that. It's any party who comes from the time of being in government into opposition, there's, there's a, a real reset in terms of what your role then
0: becomes in Parliament. Sue so Moroni says being in opposition will also present Labour with the opportunity for a wider reset.
3: Well, the first thing is to recognise that, you know, this time three years ago, the National Party faced an even larger dropping what the Labour Party has just experienced. So first thing is to gain confidence that it can be done, that you actually can pick up the pieces from that type of election loss and, and use it as an opportunity to make sure that you've got your principles and your values at the core of what you're doing. So I think it's a great opportunity for the Labour Party to do exactly that. But that's not going to be done just by carrying on as normal. They, you know, they actually have to take a good, long, hard look at some of those decisions. Um, and the political management of both um, policy issues and, I would say, the management of people that really tripped them up uh, in the last year or so. You just can't pretend that those things didn't happen. They need to be brought out in the open. They need to really debate what went on there, understand uh, why that didn't work well for them, and decide how they're going to deal with those sorts of issues going forward. So the obvious example was the chaos around their taxation policy, you know, where they going to have a capital gains tax or a wealth tax, were they not? Um, that issue has to be completely put to bed. They have to determine what they're going to do on that issue. And then they have to build the arguments around which of the path they decide that they're going to take. Because while they're um, in two minds about it, uh, they, they haven't got a hope of being able to explain to the voting public what their view is and why that's their view.
0: Difficult situation, though, right? Chris Hopkins has ruled out introducing it as leader of the Labor Party, but there's definitely a, you know, a, a sizeable portion of its caucus who really want to introduce a wealth tax.
3: Well, and you also have to look at the election result and and take that as a very strong signal from the electorate that uh, whatever decisions were made were ones that were not supported by the electorate. I mean, I, I think that the, the Easy thing to do in this circumstance, and there is absolutely a strong element of truth in this, is that there was a move for change, and you can see that reflected right throughout the world because of the tumultuous times that we have post-COVID. You know, you could take the easy route and just say, well, look, um, it's a moment in time, and we'll just carry on as normal. But I really hope that the party instead uses it as an opportunity to say, yes, of course, it's a moment in time, but we've got a new phase coming up where we're going to be moving on more and more post-COVID, That's the opportunity for us to really rebrand and ensure that the public knows what we stand for and and get back to those values and principles that um, people embrace about the Labour Party have done in the past and uh, not create any confusion about who we are and what we stand
0: for. The Labour Party's review of the 2023 election campaign is already underway. An internal panel, which will report back to Labour's Governing Council, has been established, and party members have been asked for their feedback. RNZ has been told the findings of the review will not be made public. That's Focus on Politics. I'm Katie Scotcher. Thanks for joining us. Mā